0: With the help of God and a community of dads helping each other on their journey, you can be the leader your family deserves. We welcome you to the Journey of the Christian Dad Podcast. Welcome, Jeff. I'm so happy to have you with us. We've known each other for years. It's so funny knowing all the different things about you, and you're just like a real guy, like genuine, authentic. You've studied, you've learned a lot of stuff. However, you don't hold it over other guys' heads. You just make me feel comfortable talking to you about being a dad, loving Christ, sharing the gospel. However, you can also talk hiking and biking and kids and patience and yelling at your kids and all these different topics that guys have. Some people uh, have a little bit of too much perfection, but you're just so real and raw and willing to talk about anything. And then, you know, on top of all that, with all the studying, you wrote a dang book about a topic I'm extremely interested in, which is really the point of this whole thing, the Journey of a Christian Dad podcast. So we tell us a little bit about you and kind of how you got to where you are and give our listeners kind of a frame of reference. Jeff wrote the book, Man Up, The Quest for Masculinity. Jeff, take take it away.
1: Thanks, Dan. It's great to be with you this morning. Nice. Appropriately socially distanced uh, via Zoom, <laughs> right? Uh, though it'd be nice to to meet somewhere in the middle for coffee sometime. As soon as we're out of this uh, madness, we'll let's put that on our calendar.
0: Yeah, absolutely, uh, absolutely. We'll pick a different location other than Schneidhorst.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so I am a husband, a father. We have seven kids, and a Lutheran pastor of a, a small congregation in Fairby Heights, Illinois and being a man, uh, have always been interested in the topic of of masculinity. And it it wasn't until there were people outside the church talking about the different roles given to men and women um, from a purely secular perspective that I began to sort of dig deeper into what scripture teaches about the roles that God gives to men and women. And the inherent goodness to men being masculine and women being feminine, um, and and so that sort of started me on this journey that uh, eventually led to the book. And the book is is just as much for me, actually, it's it's more for me than than it is for anyone else. It's my own pursuit of that ideal of masculinity and the hope that comes for me when I fail to meet that ideal. And so the perfect man, the ideal man, the, the one who sets the, the pattern for what masculinity ought to be is Jesus. So when God becomes man, that's what shows the rest of us what a perfect man ought to be. And so no surprise, uh, and spoiler alert, uh, you get a Lutheran pastor talking about scripture, we're going to end up talking uh, a lot about Jesus. And it's it's just a perfect dovetail to the question at hand, what is a man and, and what should man do? Well, we find the answer in Jesus. So that's, it's been a lot of fun to uh, get to speak to lots of different groups of men, be on a, a couple, uh, a variety of podcasts, and everybody finds encouragement in this, in this same ideal of, of Christ as perfect man. So it's really a pleasure to be with you this morning.
0: You, you dove right into a topic that threw me off as I was younger. So when I was younger, we had the the bracelets, right? Right. You already know what Jesus do. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Everybody's running around talking about what would Jesus do? And I was a little thrown off a a bit by it because I didn't fully understand Jesus is that nice guy. Like he helps people. He takes care of people. He's soft and warm and fuzzy. (laughs) And I didn't understand the other side of that. I didn't understand a whole lot about that and that through me for a little bit. Do I always have to be soft, warm and fuzzy? Do I always have to be this ideal? Can you speak to that a little bit?
1: Yeah, so that's that's funny. We have reduced the the list of virtues for what is expected of a man in our very egalitarian society just down to one. And and that is niceness. We want <laughs> we want our children
0: to be nice. I love that. I like Oh yes, absolutely. That was exactly what I was feeling. Like I just gotta be yeah. nice all the time. And so sorry to interrupt you. However, no, right. yes, that was the feeling. It was I, I hadn't thought about it quite that crystal clear. So Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so we want we
1: want our kids to be nice. You know, women women want their husbands to be nice. But nice is not, it's not, I mean, originally the, the word was, was very milquetoast and it didn't embody any, any masculinity. And it's not a virtue found in scripture anywhere. There are, right? I mean, so the fruits of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control the things that that the Holy Spirit works in the life of the Christian, both men and women alike, niceness just isn't included there. Um, <laughs> it's not. It's not in the Beatitudes anywhere, right? Blessed are the meek, but not blessed are the nice. Right. Um, so nice is is really. I mean, it's going along with the flow. It's not getting in anyone's way. Not standing up for anything out of the out of the ordinary, and it's certainly not what you could distill masculinity down to, and that's, that's sacrifice. So Jesus is not nice. He is perfectly all those other things. He, he is perfectly good, kind, loving, compassionate. I mean, you, you see all of this throughout his ministry in the Gospels, but he's not nice in the way that we understand niceness, right? I mean, at times he's, he's harsh, with his disciples, when he's teaching them, he makes up this this sort of insulting word for them. He calls them little faith ones, <laughs> um, which, I mean, it's it's really almost like a playground insult. Now he does it in kindness and goodness because he wants them to move beyond their their meager faith to a, to a fuller trust in him for forgiveness. And so that's that's when this rebuke comes about. But even even the fact that he has to rebuke his disciples, disciples, or, or that he takes his own mother to task in the scriptures. I mean, that, that doesn't embody what we think of as niceness. Turning over the tables of the money changers in the temple, I mean, that's, that's not nice. And that's not what anyone had in mind when they put a what would Jesus do bracelet on, on their kids. It was not go stir up things at church and, and call them back to worship of the one true triune God. Yeah, nice. Nice is really nothing, and it, it's not a it's not a virtue. Now, virtue is itself a, a word that means manliness. It comes from the Latin vir or weir is the root of the word virtue. The quest for virtue and the question of of what virtue is, even even historically, all the way back to Aristotle, was a question about how men are to conduct themselves in the world. Um, So virtue and being a a virtuous man is really living according to that design for masculinity. Even those outside the church thousands of years ago were recognizing that there's an ideal to masculinity that men ought to strive toward. Even that doesn't quite get to the heart of, of what masculinity is because virtue requires someone else. You can't be virtuous and isolated. You can't be virtuous and alone, which harkens back to what God said in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter two. It is not good for man to be alone.
0: Alone. Yeah. Now
1: there's a lot, a lot of ways that, that the meaning of, of what God says there bears out, but alone man has no one to live his life for, or to give himself for, or to lay down his life for. That's what masculinity means. It's the intersection of manly qualities with the exercise of masculine virtue. And and that means that always has to have someone else. I say in the book, and and I'll fight anybody who says otherwise, that masculinity, if you distill it down to its purest essence, masculinity is not not this ideal of rugged independence that I think is manliness is often characterized in our Mm -hmm. contemporary society. It's not that. Masculinity means sacrificial giving. Or if you want just one word, it means sacrifice. And sacrifice always implies another, right? So here here we are, a bunch of dads asking the question, how do we live as fathers for our children? How do we live as husbands for our wives? See, then the question of masculinity becomes one of what do others need from me? And what can I do as the man God has put into the lives of these people for their good?
0: So wait a second. <laughs> I don't like all this, Jeff.
1: <laughs> <laughs> me either, Dan.
0: You're saying I, I shouldn't be selfish. <laughs> like, yep. I, yeah. I, I like all these things that I do for myself, Jeff.
1: Yeah, so... If sacrifice is what masculinity is about, then the opposite of sacrifice is selfishness. That I would say epitomizes effeminacy, not, not any kind of like physical disposition, but even even in the classical Greek sense of that word, effeminacy or softness, now we're, we're back to Aristotle and, and the virtue ethicists again, that softness was not a softness of person, A man could be physically strong, a a perfect-looking specimen of a man, and still be accused of being soft or effeminate Mm -hmm. if he was soft of character. And that is if he saw his strength as a means to protect himself instead of as a means to serve others, to protect others. You think of the the Greek soldiers fighting in in a phalanx where you've got your, your shield on your left side, guards your neighbor to the left, guards the, your brother to the left, while your sword in your right hand is your offensive instrument. And you are relying on the man to your right and his shield to, to protect you. The strongest of men are still there fighting alongside one another, depending on one another, relying on one another to, to sacrifice themselves. You know, the, the guy next to me has to use himself and his strength and his armor to protect me. And so I do the same for my brother next to me. Anyone can be unmanly or selfish or effeminate. And in fact, that's all of our predicament, um, which is why I don't like this calling to masculinity any more than than anyone else does, right? We're all stuck in the same predicament. All of us sons of Adam um, have become heirs of his unmanliness, right? So think of of Adam's
0: unmanliness. Yes.
1: Yeah. In Adam, you know, the first man should have been the perfect example of what, of what masculinity is. And and it doesn't take long for the wheels to come off of the creation that God called very good at the end of Genesis one, when you've got Adam should have been there, to intercede between his wife and the serpent and not allow the serpent to get one word with his wife. He should have been there protecting her, speaking the word of God to her, rebuking the lies from the devil, and he doesn't. And then when they sin, you see that both of them, they they notice for the first time that they are naked. They become self-centered instead of other-centered, focused on others. And then when God confronts Adam for his sin, he has the opportunity um, to own his wife's sin as his own, to take her blame upon himself, to do the, the sacrificial, courageous, good thing. And instead, he says, uh, the woman whom you gave to me, she gave to me and I ate. So he's, he's self-preserving. And and these are, right? This This, instead of showing us what masculinity ought to be, Adam becomes the antithesis of masculinity. He becomes an icon of selfishness when he is self-serving and self-centered and self-preserving. And all of us, St. Paul would say, have inherited this disorder from him. Now, it means sin for all of us, and that's why we all need Christ. Um, But for men, we can see in Adam the particular distortion of what men are called to do and to be when Adam becomes focused on Adam's own good. And so it's not, it's not something that any of us in the flesh are comfortable with this calling to something higher than what we would choose for ourselves. But that is the nature of what God makes men for. And you see all of that redeemed in Christ. So, Even though we hate it, we have a solution even for our own selfish flesh, and that is the sacrifice of the one perfect man on the cross.
0: Yeah, that's a great place to start. Understanding of how we got to where we are is looking at Adam in that very beginning, because protector, provider, disciplinarian, like things that we should accept as our role in in our household. And Adam started right off with not protecting.
1: Right, right.
0: Oh, okay. Is that what we're doing? Okay. We're doing it. <laughs> Versus, hey, that's clearly bad. Let mm-hmm. me jump in here and intercede and, you know, stop right. this from happening. Protect your right. family. He, I mean, you, you know, know, know what
1: Adam should have done because it's what Christ does for his bride later. He should have used himself as the instrument for her good. He should have stomped the head of the servant, but he failed. And so it depends on the one whom God promises later in Genesis 3, an eventual offspring of the woman who will crush the offspring of the serpent god's people were waiting then waiting for one to to do sacrifice to do masculinity correctly
0: mm. it's amazing how the old testament and new testament just all the prophecies are f- fulfilled it's m- like mind blowing
1: yeah it's almost like there's one common editor um who knit <laughs> it all together
0: it's almost like th-
1: almost like that right <laughs> If you believe in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, then the fact that uh, it all coheres together makes sense.
0: Uh, we're doing we're doing dad humor right now, so this is great. <laughs> so that, that's one thing that I do just love about you, the fact that, you know, so studied and everything else, but still, you know, real right here with the rest of us that are on the journey, that are learning, and and trying to grasp all these type things. You mentioned virtuous earlier, and that was something I wanted to touch on because that doesn't necessarily, in the world understanding of it, come off. So the other day I asked my daughter, she's eight right now, and I was just trying to, I always like to come up with questions and hopefully get some dialogue and some banter going back and forth sometimes with kids or spouses or people. You get the fine and good answers and moving right. on and right. don't really get to the real stuff. So I said, said hey, Ali girl, let's think about something down the road, you know, when you're older, whatever older means to you, and you decide that you've found the guy who's going to be your husband. What does that guy look like? What does he have? What are the qualities that make him? And Jeff, she says, well, he would be strong. He would be handsome. He would be bold. He would be adventurous he would be loving he would be caring he would be virtuous wow and oh he would be rich <laughs> 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 well he doesn't have to be rich but you know that'd be be nice. <laughs> <laughs> and i was just stunned and i said hey That was great. Would you mind if I wrote that down? And she got really excited. What do you need? Do you need paper? (laughs) I said, yeah, I do. And she ran and got a piece of paper and wrote it down right there. I said, I want to make for sure I got the right, you know, we covered it. And she goes, yep, that's it. Yeah. (laughs) So Virtuous was in that list and I was just stunned and thrilled from a whole bunch of different levels buy into the theory that daughters look for somebody who's like their dad to marry right I'm right like, this is a pretty cool list if this is what she thinks about me yeah you know, and i didn't set it up that way so that she was thinking in that way but <laughs> anyway, was her list and then virtuous was on there and then as i'm reading your book i'm like damn this is right at the very beginning let you kind of talk a little bit about what she said and, and virtuous and how this all ties in
1: yeah, isn't that fun to see, like, in what she envisions a husband will be, you see a lot of what Adam should have been, right? Even, even when she says she wants a man, it would be nice if he was rich. What she wants is security.
0: Security, yeah.
1: And, and she wants to be provided for. And she wants him, you know, in, in serving as a head over her to be a safe place for her. And eventually, should, should God bless her with them, for her children. So I don't think, I mean, we're putting the best construction on it. I don't think she just wants fancy cars and and a great big house. I think what what she really, I mean, that might be, if you ask her, that might be what she envisions. but, But I think it's because God has pressed into her this desire, this part of her feminine nature to be cared for and to be provided for and to be the recipient of what her husband gives. So if if the essence of masculinity is sacrifice and giving, I think the the essence of, of femininity is receiving. Even, you know, the the union between a husband and a wife, their procreative union confesses this simple fact that God has pressed into our biology. A man gives and a woman receives. And they will they'll both now sacrifice is good for both men and women. Uh, selfishness is sinful for both of them, but they'll they'll do that in distinctly different ways. Masculine sacrifice is different from feminine sacrifice. Manly courage different from feminine courage. Both are good. Both are redeemed by the God who became man, the second person of the Trinity who took on human flesh. But, but she has, and I, I think I bet if we were to ask our sons, what do you envision in? in a bride in the future they're probably not going to say i want her to be rich they'll probably still say i want her to be beautiful right um, and right because beauty and goodness and truth are things that god has given to us to pursue so in the same way your your daughter wants an attractive husband a man pursues beauty as well but i, I doubt I mean, maybe maybe some would, and then that becomes the exception that proves the rule, but a, a man is driven to provide. And so I don't think looking for a rich bride would be on, on the list of what most eight-year-old boys would come up I would agree.
0: Yeah, I would agree.
1: And and that, that she wants a man who's strong, uh, I think the same thing. She doesn't want to just stare at his muscles adoringly She wants to know in the same way that wanting him to be wealthy tells her that she can be safe under his care, that she wants him to be strong, says that she can be safe under his protection. And so just like a man is driven to protect and to use himself as an instrument for the good of his his bride, the good of his children, a woman is driven to find safety under the headship of her husband and so she'll want to be protected. I think that's what she wants when she says she wants him strong.
0: Yeah, yeah. Wants to
1: know that he is, now right, strong could also, you could, it could be distorted by selfishness. He could be strong and he could hit her, right? right and then right. That, would, that would be, I mean, that's an easy example, but that, that would be an abuse of, of masculine strength, right? Which is why earlier in our conversation we said, it's not enough for a man to be strong or you could say to have money, or to to know how to use tools, or or any of that. To have a big collection of guns, right? Any not any one of those things makes a man masculine until he knows how to use all of those things for the good of others. And that's that's where virtue comes into play. He has to know how to conduct himself for the good of others.
0: Mm, I love. Love that. I love the philosophy of thinking of others, taking care of others in my business world, the whole key to it. I hope enough others get what they want and you'll end up with what right. you want. So yeah, it really, really makes a big difference. I was talking to a guy named Scott Holman. He wrote a book called Stop Clowning Around. Really good book, uh, right. particularly religious book, although religion is faith is in there. And he talked about in the business world, you've got to give value to others and all the books, say give value to others none of them define what value is (laughs) and he says the first thing you need to do is let them know that they are valued and then you can get into other things but unless the other person knows that you care about them and value them the whole concept doesn't go very far yeah start there so that's a neat conversation i had with him the other day so we we talked about virtuous and strong that is also i think like mentally strong as well yeah yeah. Discipline, providing, protecting, and having a, a strong mental aspect, where you can take a stand, you can protect, you can be bold, you can stand up, uh, you can be a true leader. The subtitle to the podcast, "Becoming the Spiritual Leader of Your Home," that really, really struck a chord with me years ago. In just not understanding that growing up, we grab different stories and we hold on to them because it seems like that's the way it is. Uh, in my family history, my the women in the family, mom, grandma, grandma all seemed like they were the ones that really held the family together spiritually. Yeah. Years later, I found out that my one grandfather was incredibly strong spiritually, but I wasn't around for that part of it. He worked all the time, and his kids have all individually told me since then. Now, Grandpa was the one. He'd come home from work after a long day and say, all right, everybody, let's get in the living room. Let's get in the hallway. Let's pray. I was blown away. I didn't know that he was the one that led that charge. So my stories that I've grabbed were, hey, the, the women were the spiritual leaders of the family, because that's what I saw. Mm-hmm. Church this last Sunday, they said, hey, everybody that volunteers for the Sunday school to, to teach kids, everybody that volunteers at the school to teach kids, everybody that has any role in discipling to others in a formal kind of way, please stand up. I want to recognize you. Nine out of 10 people that stood up were female. Yep. Yeah. Jeff, nine out of 10 that stood up were yep. female. A lot of times the men are the ones, the microphone and the Bible up front of church. But then after that, where where are the rest of the guys, Jeff?
1: Yeah, so this is but a at question. At the church
0: or at the home, where are the rest of the guys, Jeff?
1: Right, right. Well, they are, they're faithful heirs of, of Adam's abdication of what he was called to do in the garden. So I can empathize with them, but this is, it's a problem that Christians in America have bemoaned since the very, very beginning. It's not a new problem, even though we go through cycles where we discover this problem anew and we say, wait a minute, we're all the men. But you're right that that strength is not just about physical strength. It's also about mental strength and it's also about spiritual strength. And we could probably identify a lot of causes that have led to the lack of men taking up the mantle of of spiritual headship of being pastors and priests and prophets in their families. There's a myriad number of causes for that. But then we see how that plays out in the life of the church as well, where the things of the faith are thought to be for women and children. And they are to tame our children, to sort of civilize and cultivate in them this sort of niceness that society expects of them, but is really the opposite of what God expects of them. He wants them to be good, and he wants them to be faithful, trusting in Christ for forgiveness. And then flowing from that, he wants them to be good, and to be sacrificial, and to be kind, and to be zealous for good works, and all of these things. That's not what I think we, a lot of times we treat the church as a kind of—I don't know—I had a, a great conversation with with another guy a couple of weeks ago, and and he says he he sees the uh, the modern church as serving a sort of matriarchal function. That is, we want the church to do what we what we come to understand as as mom's work, and that is civilizing our children. And if that's if that's all the church exists for, then then no wonder men are are often absent. Even if they're present, right? I heard someone say the statistic is that the the greatest indicator of whether children will continue in the faith of their parents, we used to say, is whether dad goes to church. But then I heard someone rebut that a little bit, and it's not whether dad goes to church, but whether dad participates in church. This guy said whether dad sings. If he cracks open a hymnal, if he opens up his mouth and joins the rest, and not not only joins but sees himself as setting the example for his wife and children of what the family does when they go to church, then his children will see this is something dad values and therefore this is something that we value. And statistically speaking, if dad participates in church, the children are something like 80% likely to continue that faith as, as they grow up. It becomes a, a sort of family heritage to them. And if only mom goes, only mom participates, those numbers drop off precipitously.
0: So that's, a, I love that you cite. I've seen that study and yeah, the singing, I'm like, absolutely. That's not something I was comfortable with whatsoever. As a kid, <laughs> super comfortable and I loved it. And I didn't understand why adults didn't do it, especially yeah. guys. Yeah. An adult, I very much understood. (laughs) And I got way more comfortable in church. Now I sing all the time, and tears come to my eyes because some of the words and like that emotion that flows through song. I understand why God loves song in prayer. Like it's amazing. Yeah. So the study that, similar study, I first heard it on a Saturday morning men's group. So I went to the Saturday morning men's group because I wanted to Mm -hmm. find a few friends. I wanted to go to the church. I was going at that time by myself. Yeah. I wanted to find a few friends. And I, couldn't find a way to get myself in the door and go to men's group. I'm like, all right, cool. And like the first or the second meeting I go to, they bring up a study like that. And it was just under 10%, just out of, just under one out of 10 kids will go to church after high school and college on their own if the parents don't go. Yeah. I'm like, oh, that makes sense. Right, right. Just over one out of 10 kids will go to church, just over one out of 10 will go to church if mom is the reason why the family goes to church. And I was just crushed. I'm like, oh, there's not much we can do about this. Like, this is horrible. There's, I mean, the percentage was like eight to 10 and 10 to 12. I'm like, there's not much of a difference. And I'm like, they're going to say dad's 16 to 18 and triumph this, this is phenomenal. <laughs> and they said, if dad's the reason why the family, if he's the one getting them in the car, if he's the one that's leading the charge, male leadership, mm-hmm. spiritual male leadership, almost nine out of 10, right? You know, there's like 88 to 92% of kids will go to church after high school or college on their own. Are you kidding?
1: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs)
0: There's a job somebody's got to take. And I didn't even have kids at that time, but I realized if I was going to be the spiritual leader of my home, I better start. Right, Right. (laughs) I don't know what the first step is, but better figure it out. I better start stepping because I just wasn't, I just wasn't, up for ten percent chance, like that's not yeah <laughs> the odds aren't in my favor for what I want, so right. uh that eternal uh eternal familial circle, I want us all to be in heaven, like that's my greatest desire, and then outside of that, I want to spread the ripple effect to others, but you know if i don 't start with me and start with my own personal family, what good is it to, to go after helping others like oh, so yes, absolutely, Jeff. <laughs>
1: And I think we, we should also say, this doesn't mean dad always gets it right. No. We know, I know, that, I mean, it's, it's only, you know, as we're recording this, it's only nine o'clock in the morning. And I, I could not list on my fingers the number of ways I have already screwed up today as a husband and a father, right? Mostly, mostly little ways. But my kids don't need perfection from me. What they need me to model first and foremost as the spiritual leader of my household is, is repentance. They need, need me to be willing to own my mistakes, to confess my shortcomings to them, and, and to ask their forgiveness. And not just in, in the home, but they need me to model that for them in church too. They need to see a father who knows that he's not his own savior, who knows that his own masculinity is, is never going to be enough, and who will find the solution for his own selfishness outside of himself, the the solution to me is never more of me, um, right? It's I was the problem to begin with. More <laughs> of me is just going to make things worse. So the solution for for my disordered masculinity is less of me and more of Christ and his forgiveness is more than my shortcomings will ever amount to. There's always more grace. There's always more mercy. There's always more of his perfect righteousness to cover over my shortcomings. And so that's that's the first lesson that spiritual leaders fathers and husbands can demonstrate to their families is that dad doesn't look to himself to be his own savior. He looks to the one who became man in order to give his life on the cross, in order to redeem all of us from the depths of our sinfulness, from the depths of of the perversion of our flesh, the selfishness that clings to us as as sons of Adam and, and daughters of Eve. And so that first and foremost, everybody can do that, right? Everybody can demonstrate repentance and seeking the forgiveness that that Jesus offers. That doesn't take any wisdom at all. It does take some courage to say, this doesn't depend on me. This depends on Christ and his mercy. But it doesn't take any special insight to show kids what it means to repent and seek forgiveness, to confess our shortcomings and, and to seek the solution to our shortcomings.
0: What a gift that is to give to your kids so that they can understand that we don't have to be perfect all the time. They don't have to be perfect all the time. Growing up and going into the business world, and not only the business world, but kind of everywhere, I was a bit of a perfectionist. I thought I had to exude this perfect example to others, and I always had to be on, and I always had to have my guard up, and I couldn't really let people know who I was. And It was such a blessing when that changed. And when I realized it was okay to share my shortcomings, it was okay when good things or people recognized kind of the law of receptivity. You can say thank you when somebody gives you a compliment, you can recognize that you do have some good qualities and you're good at some stuff. And it's okay to let people know who your true self is with what you're not good at. Like you don't have to hide and guard that all the time. And we've talked about the male-female dynamic, like your wife, your spouse, your soulmate compliments you. Yeah has some skills and talents that that you don't have, having that understanding that you don't have to be perfect. That's such a burden lifted off you. So yeah, asking your kids for forgiveness and showing them that you ask God for forgiveness and repenting, that's a wonderful lesson to learn. And as I understood aspects of it, I keep understanding more and more and more as time comes along. So do you find yourself surprising yourself with newer lessons about deeper levels of forgiveness and repentance?
1: I don't know that it's ever like a deeper lesson. It's always sort of back to the fundamentals. That's It's sort of the, the entrance point into the Lord's church is that admission that I am not my own savior. And what I need is not to be taught how to be good, even. What I need is forgiveness.
0: Mm-hmm. So...
1: I don't know that there's ever like deeper insight into that. It's really always kind of like a returning to that basic understanding of what it means to live the faith, to live in that dependence upon God for his mercy, because left to my own devices, I will only screw things up. Um, <laughs> and then, right, then then the deeper insight kind of comes in, in living out the faith, in living as one redeemed by Christ the crucified, living that redeemed life for the good of others around me. That that's sort of where the the insight and, and the breakthroughs come. But yeah for that yeah. So, forgiveness is always kind of the always kind of the baseline. The Lord who came not to call the righteous but sinners doesn't need me to be good. He needs me to depend upon him.
0: Yes, yes. I guess when I think deeper level it's just situations that come up and you're like
1: Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> oh, <come> well that's <laughs> certainly the case. Yeah. <laughs>
0: How yeah. come I didn't start here? How come I spun on this for a while? It didn't make any progress. and Yeah. Yeah, I goofed that one up. I didn't, Yeah, so that, that yeah, happens. No, I think me. you're exactly right there. Uh, especially more with my wife. <laughs> yeah, That's one area where I seem like I always trip over myself all the time. A lot of guys say, oh, it's me and my kids. And I'm like, nah, often it's me and my wife. I just got a blind spot sometimes to the dumb things I do.
1: Yeah. Yeah, well, see, there's, there's a certain humility that comes from receiving forgiveness from the Lord that allows me to, to approach all those other relationships differently. If I don't have to be the perfect husband for my wife, then I'm free to own up to my shortcomings. So, yeah, I think you're, I think you're exactly right that we do, as we mature in the faith, I think we do continue to discover areas where we have been deficient where we have been selfish, where we have been negligent to the callings that God has given us in in our relationships with our brides, in our relationships with our kids, in our relationships with other men, with our communities, whatever it is. I think there's a a humility that comes from knowing I'm not my own savior that allows me to be honest about my shortcomings in in relationships with others.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. In your book, you've got seven different character traits, I'll call them. I want to touch on two out of the seven. Everybody else okay. can read the book. Yeah. So I want to touch on uh, patience and humility. So as dads, maybe we're given kids so that kids can be a tool to help us learn. Not maybe, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Maybe patience is at the top of that list of things that we can learn through our kids.
1: I think, I think you're exactly right. So we talked about humility just a second ago, the, the humility of, of knowing I'm not my savior. I'm not my kid's savior. I'm not my wife's savior. We all have a common dependence on Jesus, and that humility frees me to own up to my shortcomings. But patience, I think, so when when God joins a a man and woman together, there's a lesson in sacrifice. There's a lesson in self-denial that a man is called to learn in that. But when God blesses that union with children, this becomes like a school of learning patience. And I'm not getting a passing grade most days, but...
0: So I've got 2, I mean, you've got 7. Yeah. <laughs> I cannot imagine 7 and the when when we added the second child, the stress level just went through the roof and the the patience level required and you know the new systems and everything else so 2 was exponential more <laughs> difficult. So oh yeah. Not, so so this is coming from a dad of 7 talking about patients so <laughs>
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, I think I think 2 is more difficult than 7 probably cuz you know, when they outnumber you, they learn to be a little more independent. They learn a little more self-reliance. And they they take on some of the roles that you just can't manage when, when you're outnumbered two to seven. And so, I mean, we're all learning patience in this environment of, of nine people. Um, <laughs> and we all irritate one another and are irritated by one another. There's never exactly the right quiet that you want. Right. Someone's trying to read a book. Someone else is trying to practice the recorder. Someone is bored and, and wants to goad his siblings into playing with him by picking on them or by teasing them or somehow seven kids together slow one another down in getting ready for school in the morning. And yes. mom and dad are, are already like irritable and running late and no one responds to ordinary instructions to just get dressed and just come down to, to have breakfast, right? And, and all of these things is intended to teach me patience, to teach me about the value of the person, not about, right, that's found in that person, found in each one of my kids, and not in my kids' obedience, or in my kids looking like a model child, right? So if I, if I understand the value of each, each child, as creation of God baptized and redeemed by Jesus has inherent value no matter what he or she does, then that calls me to just chill out and be a little more patient and a little more long suffering. And my love for them is not contingent upon how, how obedient they are or how orderly they are or how clean they are or how much they pick up their Legos off the floor. None of that, right? If I understand the value of each one of them, then I can be patient with them because that value doesn't change no matter what they do.
0: Right. Yeah, absolutely. So we talk selfish, selfless, focused on others, all these things. What about focus on us? Like, where's the balance, like bike riding, exercise, fitness, music, whatever Whatever the things are that light us up as individuals, the things yeah. that we just love to do. Right. We're, where does that play in from the, a lot of guys understanding is they've got to make money and right. then the rest of the things, but I got to make money first. Right. Some guys make money and then they play golf all the time or they hunt all the time or whatever. Other guys understand, well, I got to do all these other things and don't necessarily have the hobbies anymore, or connect with guys anymore. What are your thoughts on, I'll call it integration of those ideas?
1: Yeah. So even, even Jesus takes time to pray takes time alone by himself to connect with his heavenly father. So if that's if his example is what perfect masculinity entails, then we also need times of spiritual refreshment, physical restoration, not really just for the sake of me time or something like that, but so that I can be reset and refocused so that I can keep myself healthy for the good of others. Mm-hmm. Mentally healthy, physically healthy, spiritually healthy. That does mean some time alone or some time with other men who will sharpen me, who will, their fraternity will make me a better man. They'll call me out on, on my BS and sharpen me in that way. But it also means learning to practice, like lifting weights or, or mm-hmm. going for a long run or something, something like that, right? It teaches me to do a hard thing that I don't naturally want to do. The laziness of my flesh doesn't naturally want to do. Um, it also makes me then strong and able to serve my family better, but it also increases that, that mental strength as well, that fathers yeah. are called to have grit, right? And, and sometimes squeezing out one more rep on the barbell teaches us that kind of grit, in a way that just trying to white knuckle it when we're stressed out with wife and kids doesn't teach us. Sometimes we need to take a step back and be recharged and refreshed on our own so that we are there more purposefully and mindfully for the good of others when we're there.
0: Yeah, I, I, that was something that helped me out a ton was realizing that I had to put that on the calendar and I had to commit to mm-hmm. that in addition to committing to my wife, hanging out with her friends, just... right putting those pieces in play instead of giving up your whole life only for your kids. Like the the balance and the order of that just isn't God, you and the spouse, kids after that. So I guess you guys have obviously figured that out and employ that in your family.
1: (laughs) And we haven't figured anything out.
0: Uh, Well, with seven. Every
1: every day is trial and error. Uh, That's how we get through the day.
0: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned the morning routine. And I'm like, even with two, I'm like, I don't know how we can't have a similar morning (laughs) consecutively. Yeah. (laughs) So if you were to take kind of this topic and just realize we're guys, we just want simple. Give it to us as simple as you can.
1: Yeah. So the simplest way to, to understand masculinity is to get a crucifix. And just looking at that you will understand what masculinity means. There you've got the perfect union of God and man, the word who became flesh, giving himself completely for the good of others. So you don't have to like intellectualize it. You just look at the example of of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross and you understand what masculinity is all about. So in a sense, there is some truth to that question, what would Jesus do? right? But it doesn't mean I'm going to die on a cross for my bride. It does mean I'm called to sacrifice for her. And that doesn't, most, right? So Paul says, husbands, lay down your lives for your wives as Christ loved himself and gave himself up for his bride. Most of us never get the opportunity to actually give our lives completely for our wives, right? right? None of us probably will take a bullet for our wives. And yet, Every morning when I wake up, I'm called to use myself as an instrument for her good, to sacrifice me for her, to live as Christ for her, but in those little decisions that present themselves throughout the day. And then the same is true for my kids. Mm -hmm. So in the death of Jesus on the cross, I will find the example for what I'm called to be as a man, but I'll also find the solution for my own selfishness my own disordered masculinity, and I will be reminded that it's not up to me being good to save myself or to save others. I'm not my own savior. So there with a crucifix, you have what it means for me to be a man, but also I find the solution for my own failures as a man. So that's really what it all boils down to. Masculinity is sacrifice, and nothing is a more perfect picture of sacrifice than the sacrifice of the Son of God for the sins of the world.
0: Mm. Man, what a great answer! <laughs> thank you. That is amazing. I wasn't sure you were. I wasn't. I had no idea where you're going to go with that question, but that isn't where I thought you would answer it. <laughs> but it's the perfect answer. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I always like to uh, close the episode out with a challenge. Have you got any challenges that come to mind, or anything that you're thinking of? I've got one in mind.
1: Yeah, here's here's the challenge: clear out your Sunday morning schedule and take your family to church and lead them in participating. That will be the the single biggest game changer for the spiritual good of a family that you can do.
0: Mm, I love that challenge. So I'm I'm on board. That one's one that I do, Jeff. I've got a personal challenge. So guys, you don't have to do this one. Maybe you guys are all champions and do this one already. This is one where uh where I personally have had a challenge with for years. Occasionally I'll start to get a little bit on track and then I, I lose it. Kind of similar to what you're talking about, except for it's only with my wife. When my kids are around, I can pray out loud, we can family, like it's all there. Yeah. But when I'm just one on one with my wife, I have a challenge praying just with her. I can say a scripted prayer, no problem. But when it's free form prayer and I get vulnerable, I get afraid of that, Jeff. Can you help?
1: Well, uh there's nothing wrong with a scripted prayer. Jesus gives us the perfect script to his own prayer in the Lord's prayer and pray scripted prayers until until you're comfortable or or never never leave the script. That's that's the beauty of the Lord's church, right? That we have 2,000 years of Christian wisdom and tradition preceding us of wise, spiritual, faithful teachers of the faith who have, many of whom have written down prayers for us. And so if you prayed a, a scripted prayer every day and you only used the church fathers to draw from, you would never run out of scripted prayers. So <laughs> we, don't, we don't have to reinvent the wheel every time we pray. And I think I think there's there's a, a beauty to praying words someone else has written that have withstood the test of time because a lot of times they take me outside of myself and they make me ask for things that I wouldn't otherwise think to ask for so I think there's there's a wisdom in praying scripted prayers and then if you grow comfortable with it you can even, even if it's just taking the, the simple things that, that you and your wife need or you know that she needs and mentioning those at the end of that prayer. Um, St. Paul promises us that the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. He translates all of our imperfect prayers into words that are pleasing to our Heavenly Father. And there's comfort, too, in knowing that Jesus himself intercedes for all of us interceding for us before his heavenly Father's throne. So there's comfort in that, that even if I neglect to pray, the church is praying for me, Jesus is interceding for me, the Spirit is is interpreting the groans of, of all Christians into words pleasing to the Father. It really doesn't depend on me. But God gives me the joy and the privilege of joining my wife in prayer, of praying for my wife and my kids. And so... Just be encouraged that you can't screw it up.
0: True, true. Yeah, I just get uh, fearful and afraid. And my wife has told me time and time again, she's uncomfortable, however accepting. <laughs> she's yeah. never criticized or anything, but I just get fearful that just true openness and true vulnerability it shouldn't be there. But we've got a great relationship. However, still have that little bit of little bit of holdback, that little bit of fear. So. That's a great suggestion to just roll with it. Just yeah. put, it, put it on the daily list. And if I'm comfortable saying a scripted prayer, keep doing that until I get comfortable. So thank you for a tip that, that I can employ and then I can shoot you a text later. Okay. You now that we accomplished this today.
1: Sounds good. <laughs> I look forward to that. Uh,
0: often with challenges, having somebody that can hold you accountable and you've given them permission to be held accountable. That helps us get things done, guys. So it's a trick I learned years ago and has made a big difference in my life. Things get momentum and get done whenever somebody else that you hold uh, high regard for is gonna hold you accountable. Jeff, thank you. This was tremendous. I think we, uh, the Lord was with us as we spoke as we said in our prayer prior to the podcast. So oh, I appreciate your time so much. And by the way, guys, uh, man up. Grab it on uh, Amazon and wherever. He's even got some free tools, some, uh, some videos. Yeah, the, videos the publisher has
1: a, they call it uh, a faith course. It's just a, a video-based uh, study that accompanies the book that uh, you can use if you're uh, working through the book with a group of other men. Um, so if you, uh, Concordia Publishing House is who published the book. And if you just uh, Google CPH. Faith Course Man Up, you'll find it that way. So the book's available on Amazon uh, at cph.org. You can get it on uh, paper or on Kindle.
0: And where were the video courses, CPH?
1: CPH, Faith Courses Man Up. If you just punch that in, uh, okay. in the web browser, in the Google. Not that I expected
0: videos from you to be poor, but these are exceptional. Oh,
1: Those yeah, they're, they're professionally produced. I didn't make them.
0: <laughs> yeah, not just professional, but they're like crazy high level professional. These things are fantastic. And I was blown away the first 15 seconds of the first video that I saw. Great. Uh, I, I, I got to keep going on these. So yeah, it's uh, been an
1: awesome conversation today, Dan. Thanks for the opportunity to, uh, to reach out to your audience and to engage us all in, uh, in this quest for masculinity.
0: Yeah. Well, I appreciate it so much. And then everybody feel free to jump over to the Journey of a Christian Dad on Facebook. Feel free to subscribe out there in all the different channels where you listen to to podcasts at and everything. Check out Jeff Hemmer, H-E-M-M-E-R and man up and buy his book on Amazon and check out his videos. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you, Dan. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Journey of a Christian Dad podcast. Thank you guys for being a light, shine that light out and let others see it. With you guys, part of this community, it helps me be accountable to you guys, helps me be accountable to myself